The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, October 20th. I'm Terry Arango with my guest, Dr. Valerie Paradis. Valerie Paradis develops educational programs for children and adults with autism spectrum and related conditions. She is the developer of Integrated Self-Advocacy, ISA, a curriculum and training series for educators and therapists who wish to support individuals with Autism Spectrum Disorders in Achieving Greater Ability in Self-Advocacy. Valerie was the Program Director of the School for Autistic Strength, Purpose, and Independence in Education and has a special interest in drama therapy. Valerie speaks nationally and internationally on parenting strategies, initiating and enhancing programs for individuals with autism, strengthening advocacy skills, and fostering emerging talents and focused interests. Valerie, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Terry. It's great to be here with you today. Well, Valerie, how did your personal and family's history lend to your becoming involved in autism-related topics such as self-advocacy? Well, uh, it all started when my own son, Elijah, was diagnosed with autism. He was three years old at the time. He also had a very significant seizure disorder, and... uh, As he aged and grew older, he's now 19 today and just starting community college, I'm very happy to say. Uh, But as he grew older and moved through educational programs, um, he had a crisis in about fifth grade. And that was really largely due to the fact that there wasn't appropriate programming for kids like Elijah in our community who were older and moving into the middle school and high school grades. Uh, I had been in education for many years. I was a professor teaching at Bard College, a private college in upstate New York. And I guess when Elijah had that very difficult year in fifth grade, that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for me, and I decided to start a school, uh, middle and high school for kids with Asperger's, high-functioning autism, PDD, and um, it was a very special program. Um, It was really one of the first like it in the country. I'm very happy that there are more of them today. Uh, That's really where we first got started, though, uh, was through education and initiating a school. Valerie, no, I didn't realize that Elijah had had seizures. Have you been able to successfully resolve those? Yes. 
um, they were quite severe when he was a very young person. Uh, they came on when he was an older two-year-old. That was before his diagnosis with autism. Uh, and they lasted for about a year, and we were having to um, try out different types of anticonvulsants. Um, some of them had very awful side effects. Uh, and finally, we did find one that put the seizures to a stop. Um, and for two years, he remained on that medication. And then after two years, we weaned him off. And thank goodness, since then, um, so far, so good. No seizures. Um, wow. It was very interesting, though, because his speech development was um, very delayed. And once he did come off the seizure medication he started to talk up a storm. <laughs> so um, I'm very happy that he doesn't need those medications today. Well, congratulations on the successful resolution of that and his going to community college as well. Yes, very exciting. Well, please tell us about your experience with the Aspie School and how that evolved into ventures into drama therapy and alternative uh, physical education approaches. Sure. Um, well, when I first proposed the school in my community, um, I was uh, working with a philanthropist in our area. This is in upstate New York, um, near the famous Woodstock. That's our hometown. And uh, a friend of mine who was very involved in education and a philanthropist I mentioned uh, had already initiated an at-risk media arts program for students in the area high school. She had her own building right next door to the public middle and high school, and she had lots of room in that building. And I said, hey, uh, how do you feel about my starting a school here for kids on the spectrum? And she loved the idea. She already had a relationship with the public school, and the public school loved it. And within months after my proposing and designing the general outline of the, of the program, uh, we were open and full. Um, every seat was filled the first year. And um, we did do lots of traditional educational um, offerings, just the Regents, New York State Regents curriculum, uh, through the public system, but we, we were also um, enhancing the program with what I would call Asperger-specific or autism-specific curricula, and that's where the um, alternative PE programming came in and the theater arts programming um, as well as a self-advocacy class, which I wrote and taught. Um, the theater arts class was fantastic. It was our PE class, and we worked with a group of people um, who had designed a performance and improv-based program called Adventure Game Theater. And what we did is we used that format where kids design their own characters and through a series of workshops embody those characters and then they learn about costume, and they learn about writing plots and storylines, and all of this builds up to the grand adventure game, which is sort of the culminating event. 
Um, and we carried this through the school year in the regular PE class and really appealed to autistic students' deep interest in video gaming and fantasy novels and, and different types of um, common interests you might see among people on the spectrum. And what we did was we were able to activate what often are very passive sort of interests in our kids. You know, they're sitting at the computer playing video games, and um, with the adventure game, they actually become the hero. And they're acting it out and running around and um, wearing costumes and uh, taking social risks with their peers and, and learning from one another um, in doing so. So that was really the basis of the, the phys ed program. And that later developed into a formal program that we brought to other schools around the country. That sounds fascinating. Um, how old was Elijah at the time, and what was his relationship to this program? Elijah was in the school um, all three years of its operation. Sadly, it lost funding after the third year. Um, so it was three very special years. Uh, he started out there as a seventh grader, and uh, he really, for the first time, had friends, um, genuine friends, people you call up on the phone, people you do things with after school, you know, people who you tell secrets to and confide in during the day. Um, and really, most of the students there had never experienced that sense of belonging and camaraderie uh, ever in their lives. And, in fact, many of them arrived with full-blown um, post-traumatic stress symptoms from having been targeted or bullied or ostracized uh, in the programs they were coming from. So they were a very strong, cohesive group um, who spent those three very special years together developing socially um, in ways that were just so important for them. Um, and I, I like to tell people it wasn't that they were in a bubble. Um, in other words, they weren't just all autistic people hanging out together all day long, you know, sort of insulated from the rest of the world, but they really found a lot of strength and confidence among themselves by sharing their strengths and challenges in a safe forum together, and they were able to bring that confidence to other aspects of their lives at home and in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very exciting. Yes, and you mentioned that uh, Elijah went through a, a crisis in fifth grade and that um, these students also had uh, post-traumatic stress Issues. Is there any particular age at, with, at which um, students seem to uh, find these things happening more, any particular age or grade? Yes. Um, for students like Elijah, um, you know, he's very verbal, um, uh, performing pretty much at grade level. Those were, that's sort of the profile of student who attended the Aspie School. Um, they may be kind of cruising along, either in um, special ed or fully integrated through most of their um, elementary school years, but then they kind of hit a brick wall uh, around fourth, fifth grade, which is what happened to Elijah and to many of them. 
And the reason for that is social life um, starts to become much more complex. Kids start talking about dating uh, and thinking about it. They're hanging out more in larger groups, and there's a more complex social dynamic going on in groups. And, you know, even if you have the slightest processing delay, you know, or an auditory processing issue, very hard to just keep up with the banter, you know, and jump in and be a part of things in that way. And uh, suddenly Elijah found himself in over his head socially. And um, I have his permission to talk about this. Um, but he, he was beginning to experience some um, suicidal ideation, getting referrals down to the school uh, psychologist's office nearly every week. And, you know, no one should be feeling that in fifth grade. Well, no one should be feeling that ever. But for young people to be having those feelings is just very sad. And I'm afraid it's quite common among our kids. So that's what I meant by the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I just didn't want to see my son depressed. Well, Valerie, thank you for sharing that and providing a better solution. And we'll pick up with talking about your book, The Integrated Self-Advocacy ISA Curriculum, after the break. Great. Our listeners, we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Valerie Paradis. 
Dr. Parades, let's get into talking about your book, The Integrated Self-Advocacy ISA Curriculum, a program for emerging self-advocates with autism spectrum and other conditions. It's comprised of a student workbook and a teacher edition. So let's go through the student workbook. First of all, what does self-advocacy mean? Well, um, to put it in very simple terms, uh, if you just think about the word advocacy uh, and the autism community, many of us involved in the autism community are advocates. We advocate on behalf of our children on the spectrum or on behalf of our students or our clients. And basically, a self-advocate is a person with autism advocating for their own needs. And many of us have this hope for our loved ones and, and students and clients on the spectrum, but quite often we don't know how to get them from point A to point B and actually assist them in developing those skills in advocating for their needs. What is the best, is there any best time for starting self-advocacy training? Well, my feeling is you can really start any time. I often feel the younger the better, and you can really uh, introduce very simple advocacy, self-advocacy skills at a, at a quite a young age. Uh, one of my favorite arenas where this can be done really with any age person and with anyone um, anywhere along the autism spectrum is uh, sensory awareness and sensory self-awareness. And the way I like to describe this is, you know, if you have a child who is sitting in a classroom and uh, they keep jumping up from their desk and running over and flicking off the lights, uh, and it's very likely they're probably doing that because the lighting is fluorescent, there may be a way to help uh, that child to advocate for the fact that they um, would like to have the lights off. And rather than simply um, advocate for one's needs in, in an ineffective way by having a tantrum or a meltdown or running out of the room or turning off the lights without first uh, asking permission, it's, it can be extremely helpful to people on the spectrum to assist them in finding ways to first identify that they have those sensory needs and then assist them in developing ways of communicating uh, requests for environmental accommodations. And you can really start off doing that with very little ones uh, in terms of sensory self-awareness. Okay, so let's go through the steps in your book and then um, you talk about communication and you talk about sensory scans, but... Let's talk about disclosure first. What does that term mean, and are there good or bad times for this? Yes. Well, there, there are, well, let me back up a bit. Disclosure uh, is a very important aspect of learning self-advocacy skills. Uh, the first step, of course, is disclosing to the person on the spectrum that they have autism, uh, and that's a very important step. And again, this might happen at different points uh, in a person's life. Some families uh, don't wish to speak about it, but then 
find out later, oh, maybe it is a good idea uh, for our child to know that they have an autism spectrum diagnosis. Uh, and that's really the first step toward helping that person develop greater self-awareness around both their challenges and their strengths. So that is a moment of disclosure that plays a big role. And later, uh, disclosure becomes important to the individual themselves. For example, uh, there may be situations when it's very important for a person on the spectrum to self-disclose and let somebody else know, I have a disability or I have an autism spectrum um, diagnosis. For example, think of a young adult with Asperger's syndrome who is in a bookstore. This happens so many times. I hear family accounts of stories like this where maybe that person is engaging in a little bit of self-talk and the shopkeeper gets anxious and decides to call the police and the police come in and think that maybe this person's taking drugs or um, ignoring them, you know, and resisting um, questioning. And that would be a moment where someone on the spectrum really needs to know that it's important to self-disclose. And that is an act of self-advocacy because you're protecting yourself um, from being misunderstood. Um, there are moments, too, where it might not be a good idea to self-disclose. Uh, what if you're in a job interview? Is it is it good to self-disclose? Um, do you have to self-disclose? Um, according to the Americans with Disabilities Act, you don't. Uh, but many people on the spectrum don't know that and may um, end up not getting a job that they're fully qualified for um, because they did reveal something that they could have waited for, um, to reveal later after they were hired just as an example. So disclosure becomes an important step anytime uh, a person on the spectrum decides to advocate for their own needs. And it's always a decision, will I disclose or not in this particular advocating moment? In your book, you talk about the differences between autism and Asperger's syndrome. How is it relevant to what you've just been talking about? Um, could you repeat the question again? I'm sorry, Terry. I'm not sure if I understood it fully. In your book, you talk about autism and Asperger's syndrome. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between those? You also talk about individuals knowing some of the history of autism and autism in the media. Why are these issues important for the individual to know? Sure. Um, well, one thing in terms of the, the unit on autism in the media, um, we all know that the incidence of autism in the population has risen dramatically over the past decade and more. Oh, my goodness, when my son Elijah was first diagnosed, uh, you know, we were told that the incidence was 4 in 10,000 uh, people, and now, you know, with the new um, information coming out, uh, you know, putting things at about one in a hundred, of course, uh, that puts autism very much in the media. And um, it's discussed on news programs across the country. It's in the newspapers. It's in magazines. And um, it's very important for those who are able to read 
uh, and are watching television and seeing reports um, on autism to have an opportunity to develop skills for understanding what that reportage means, both for the culture at large and for them themselves. Uh, after all, they're the ones being discussed in such a big public debate. Um, so that unit really helps sensitize students to uh, what's going on in the media and where, to, where can they find their own voice in that large landscape. Very good. Mm -hmm. So let's talk more about voice. You started talking about communication earlier and sensory integration issues. And when a, a child student has sensory integration issues, they need to be able to communicate so what are the strategies for communication that you encourage? Sure. Um, the curriculum is designed in a cumulative way so that students develop important building blocks uh, to become self-advocates. So one of the earlier units is all about communication. And in that unit, they are actually introduced to the basics of communication uh, you know, who initiates a conversation, who, you know, in a, in a, in a small dialogue, um, who's the responder. Uh, they analyze through visual supports different types of settings where there's effective and ineffective uh, self-advocacy going on. So, for example, um, there's one cartoon in the book where uh, a student smells somebody's perfume and says, it stinks in here, you know, and yells that out loud. Um, that is an act of self-advocacy, but it's basically an ineffective act of self-advocacy because it's just going to alienate other people around who don't fully understand why are you having this outburst yelling it stinks. Mm -hmm. um, so what we do is we work with students to write effective scripts for themselves, um, to have new words to describe the sensory discomfort they're experiencing, and then go a step further and actually create an advocacy plan for what are you going to do to ensure you have greater comfort. And it could be asking a teacher, you know, would you consider not wearing perfume to school anymore? Um, I get headaches when I smell it, things like that. Well, so, yeah. It, it really makes the individual uh, more comfortable and function better in this setting, but also uh, protects them. Yes, yes. Because as much as we'd like to make our school environments or workplace environments um, better and safer for people on the spectrum, um, we can't always guarantee that that's going to happen. They can't live in controlled environments all the time. <laughs> So by teaching them these skills, uh, they're able to play more of a role in their own self, um, you know, protection. Right. Mm -hmm. We we were um, at the grocery store with my stepson, and he called the the person who was placing the items into the bag, uh, who was a woman, you know, uh, old. And I said, "Young lady," and and he said. <laughs> He uh, begged to differ with me. I said, it's, it's always safe to call uh, a female a young lady. So, <laughs> Well, we may need to go to break, but let's ta start talking about the sensory scan. Sure. 
the sensory scan is one of my favorite units in the curriculum. Uh, I've been piloting it in New York City special ed uh, public schools the past two years, and it's been very exciting uh, doing it there. This, the book itself is written for um, relatively independent reading population, but we've been adapting it for students who are nonverbal, communicating with de- devices or with sign, and um, adapting the reading um, into visual reading assignments. And so I just like to say that because it can really serve everyone on the spectrum. All right, very good, and we'll pick up with this when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back with Dr. Valerie Paradis. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Valerie Paradis. Dr. Paradis, just in case we need to, some listeners need to break early, what's your website for more information? Oh, sure. It's uh, www.valerieparadis.com. Okay, very good. And Paradis is P 
P-A-R-A-D-I-Z. That's right. com. We were talking about the sensory scan. Um, many people in the mainstream may not realize how much sensory issues, sensory integration uh, dysfunction affects individuals. Yes, a large number of people on the spectrum. I know very few, in fact, who don't have some sort of sensory integration challenge. Uh, it could be oversensitivity to sounds, um, taste, touch, and it can also be a hypo or an undersensitivity. There are people on the spectrum who um, easily get hurt because they don't feel, for example, that they're getting burned or they don't feel pain in their teeth when they need um, dental care done. Um, those are very common things. And in the sensory scan unit, uh, in the curriculum, students are introduced to the different sensory systems, including the internal sensory systems. Uh, so it's, it's not just the five senses that we usually uh, learn about, but also the kinesthetic, proprioceptive um, uh, sense systems. For example, locating one's body in space can be a challenge for some people on the spectrum. And they, you may see this if somebody's bumping into people all the time or um, actually seeking out pressure, wanting to hug all the time because they need that input um, to actually sort of physically understand where their body is in space. So with the sensory scan, once a student learns what the different senses are, then they learn to do a scan, and the scan can take place in any environment, which is really cool. So sometimes we'll do this with kids in schools, and they'll conduct their first scan in the classroom that they're in most of the day, and they move through each of the sense systems, identifying uh, any possible discomfort. And then with that information, they develop a self-advocacy plan, and then they carry out that plan. Quite often, it's making a request for an accommodation, like can you turn the volume down or something like that. Uh, once they learn to scan in a really familiar environment, then they can learn to scan in other environments. So we may go down to gym class where uh, it's, quite loud, you know, and there's echoes bouncing off the wall from people's voices, and or we may take students to the cafeteria and have them do a scan there, and with time, they begin to develop what I call sensory self-awareness, that they experience environments in different ways, and their comfort level goes up and down depending on what's going on in that environment. And that's a really big step toward becoming an effective self-advocate because if you can identify what's making you uncomfortable, then you can go back to that communication unit and figure out a script or some other plan for um, uh, either removing what's making you uncomfortable or coming to some kind of cooperative understanding with others about how to increase your comfort in that setting. Very good. And does the sensory scan ever spill over and impact the, the social scan? Because, for example, you cited someone needing, wanting to hug other people a lot, and that wouldn't be appropriate in all social, social situations. Or I can imagine 
uh, people standing too close to other people. I think my son's social skills therapist calls that space invaders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is another unit in the curriculum called the social scan uh, where that's designed to really help increase one's awareness of one's own social tendencies in different settings. Uh, and it may be that you're seeking out, you know, um, pressure or interaction with others in ways that aren't um, fully appropriate. Uh, and so, yes, sometimes there is overlap between the sensory and social uh, pieces. Ideally, I, I love to see kids when they become very adept at both types of scans and kind of understand the interplay between the two. It's really fantastic when that happens. Okay, so could you describe a social scan to us? Yeah, the social scan helps students begin to break down an environment and analyze it uh, a little more carefully than they might. For example, uh, if you do a social scan in a room and it's at a party and there are small groups of people standing around talking with one another, um, informally, and it's not very structured. That's a very different setting from being in an auditorium where there's an audience, people seated in rows, listening to someone speaking up on a stage. Uh, and sometimes students on the spectrum just need support and understanding these are very different settings, and they also need support in understanding what their particular social needs and tendencies are in those settings. Um, some students just want to run out, run out of a big auditorium and not stay there. Uh, it's too overwhelming with lots of people in a room. But maybe if you know that you can sit at the end of the row, in the very back row, uh, then perhaps that's a social decision that you can make or advocate for to make it possible for you to participate in that particular setting um, and given that particular structure. So again, the, the scan for, for social settings is meant to develop a kind of self-awareness as well around what one's needs and preferences are. Um, sometimes, you know, we work so hard to tell our kids what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, and Sometimes um, we don't let that part shine through where, you know, they may really just need to take a social break because they're becoming too overwhelmed. And the social scan is really designed to find uh, where can you meet the student partway and where can they meet you partway um, by, you know, first of all, verbalizing their needs or, or communicating their needs in some way, but also... Um, um, understanding different social expectations at right. the same time. Yeah. Good. What's that's a, a great observation. What's the balance between not um, risking the individual feeling as if they do things wrong and and encouraging uh, ways to behave quote unquote socially appropriately so that the individual feels more accepted in their own environment. Yeah, that's always such a delicate balance. I think most of our social skills, you know, curricula are aimed at um, really helping students 
um, grapple with and work through, you know, that, that very um, difficult balance. And I think quite often they'll often just be supplied with a set of rules, you know, like space your body this far apart, you know, make a certain amount of eye contact, you know. And the social scan is really meant to not only ask students um, back up a bit and first, you know, tune into what your tendencies are and then work from there, but it's also an invitation to teachers and therapists to maybe understand a little more what the underlying causes are for that type of social behavior. You know, some people on the spectrum, um, for example, say that if they make eye contact, then it's very hard for them to speak at the Mm -hmm. same time. They can't integrate those two activities easily. So if there's some way you can advocate for that, um, and say, you know, in this moment, I may not be able to look at you, but I would really like to talk to you. Wow. Um, that's a breakthrough, you know, um, for any student who may know that about themselves. And then they can begin to work on that skill um, and actually practice making more eye contact, um, knowing that they can also take breaks um, according to their needs. That's wonderful, wonderful strategy. Uh, why do you emphasize identifying and cultivating strengths and focused interests? Oh, yes. Um, well, uh, that unit is really has two purposes. One is to work with students through a process of identifying potential vocational directions uh, through their deep interests. Many people on the spectrum have focused interests. It could be, you know, memorizing baseball facts or uh, the New York City subway system, um, you know, any number of topics or areas of interest and activities. And uh, that unit really helps um, students begin to explore, well, what, what could this possibly lead to and what kind of education or skills would I need uh, in order to have employment in the future that would involve this deep interest. And, and you know what, Valerie, I can't help but think that the other skills you've spoken about uh, so far uh, help, then help the individual pursue that. They may know that they would like to do something vocationally and so they need to go to college, but if they can't self-advocate um, you know, in a sensory situation or they can't communicate their their needs, then how are they going to be successful in the college setting? Exactly. Uh-huh. All the units really, that's why it's really called integrated self-advocacy because they're all so interrelated and sort of mutually support each other in terms of the content and the skills one learns through them. Um, but it also emphasizes the fact that like any other support that we provide people on the spectrum, Um, It has to be uh, integrated in that parents need to be on board, educators, therapists, anyone involved in that person's life. Uh, If you want to aim for that goal of autonomy and independence and self-advocacy, then the community around that person needs to integrate their efforts and work toward that. Very good. So that brings up role models. Yeah, there's also a a unit in the book on role models. 
It has a really fun introductory reading on different historical figures uh, who were very likely on the autism spectrum, um, people like Andy Warhol or Albert Einstein. Uh, and then it also introduces students just to the notion of a role model and how many of us have role models. They don't need to be autistic role models. Uh, and then students are guided through a project of um, exploring who their role models are and why. All right, very good. We'll pick up with this when we come back from break with Dr. Valerie Paradis. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desk, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, uh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Valerie Paradis, author of Integrated Self-Advocacy, ISA, and you were talking about role models before the break, and how can an individual take an active role in, for example, their own individualized education program? Oh, yes. Uh, there is another unit that helps uh, students navigate how they might like to participate in their own IEP meeting and in the development of their individual education plan. Uh, we did this for the first time at the Aspie School, 
And I discovered so much from the individual students in the program that I felt it was really important to put this chapter in the book. Uh, we had students who, you know, it wasn't only about here's how you participate in your meeting. You go in there, you know, you sit there, you, you know, everyone will, will speak about you. Um, but what we really did was, again, help them understand the physical um, space and the social space that they were going to be in and make some choices around that first so that they could participate as fully as possible. And one student, for example, said, I really want to go to my own IEP meeting, but I want to stand in the threshold of the doorway. I can't sit in a chair. And if I'm standing in the doorway and I can go out into the hall and pace and then come back and stand in the doorway, I'll be able to... Um, you know, participate through the whole thing. So what I did was uh, create a kind of guided uh, exercise where students, first of all, make choices about how they want to participate uh, physically in the meeting. Do they want to go at all? Would they rather have a proxy go in and read a statement for them? Do they want to read it themselves? Do they want to hear somebody else read it for them while they're sitting there? <laughs> just any number of choices. Uh, and once they figure out how they want to participate, then they go through a series of guided questions. They answer those questions with full sentences, line them up one after the other, and they have their IEP statement. <laughs> and uh, it was such a successful um, project um, at the Aspie School, and I've brought it to other schools. And what it really does is reduces anxiety about attending the IEP and what's going to happen there and what the expectations are. Um, so students may decide, I just want to go for the first five minutes, read my statement, and leave, and that's fine. Um, so what it really does is open up a lot of options and just gets kids into those meetings and more um, participatory in their own IEP uh, than before. Oh, it is just great, and it also challenges society's misconceptions that the individual um, isn't uh, uh, cognitive on a cognitive level that's able to uh, ma to make decisions for themselves, or think, or self-advocate, or yeah. that their, their their thoughts aren't just as valid. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, uh, school districts by law are you know, supposed to encourage student participation in the IEP meeting, and quite often they don't. It, it doesn't come up. Right. Um, and I think it has more to do with the fact that teachers just don't have the tools uh, to help a student through that process. And that was really my aim with this unit was to give teachers uh, what they need to really get their students prepared for that. that. That's massively important. Yes, yes. So you have a teacher's edition as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, the student edition uh, is written for students. Um, I, I should probably mention I'm on the spectrum. I was uh, diagnosed at age 40. I'm 46 now. And uh, in the student edition, I really attempt to write 
to students in a way where I'm appealing to the fact that, you know, we're all in this together, and I've been where you are, and uh, I have lots of friends who have been where you are, and we'd like for you to um, uh, have a better experience than we had <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the teacher's edition uh, includes, you know, all the lessons, um, very detailed lesson plans, lots of suggestions for adapting lessons uh, if you're working with nonverbal or partially vocal populations, uh, and just a lot more sort of of the philosophical underpinnings there for teachers who um, might not understand um, the basics of self-determination theory or person-centered planning. Very good. Uh, Yeah. Love that term. Yeah, if you don't understand the philosophy, you don't do the rest of it. That's right. That's right. What are the important points that those on the spectrum need to know about the Americans with Disabilities Act? Ah, yes. Uh, The unit for the ADA is really meant as an introduction to the ADA. Uh, I have that unit there because once you leave school and you move into official adult life, the ADA is really the most important piece of legislation that protects your rights. Uh, But that chapter is all about the fact that it doesn't just happen in a vacuum, that your civil rights as a person with a disability aren't always going to be looked out for by others, and sometimes you actually have to stand up and advocate for yourself uh, in order to ensure that you are granted your due civil rights. And you need to know what the ADA is in order to do that. So it could range from uh, being on public um, transportation. There's an example there of a woman with Asperger's getting on a bus, and she just doesn't know how to stick her electronic ticket into the fare meter and she's unable to process the bus driver's verbal information because everyone on the bus is yelling and getting angry and impatient with her for delaying the bus. And in that moment, all she needs to do is tell the bus driver, I have a disability, and by law, he must assist her, and he cannot deny her access on the bus. Mm -hmm. But she needs to speak up and claim that right. Mm -hmm. So... That's really what the the gist of that chapter is. Well, very good. And um, I know that Elijah's website is mrinevitable.com. That's right. com. And how is he doing? He's doing great. He's studying history of music right now in college and uh, thinking about maybe going into uh, the music industry in the future. <laughs> for his work. What, no comedy? Well, the comedy got him started in the arts. I'm not quite sure where he's going to end up, but he's now he's engaging in his other deep interest in the history of rock and roll. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So if listeners would like to uh, learn more about either uh, Dr. Valerie Paradis's work and what she has to offer or Elijah... Their website addresses are www.ValerieParadis.com or MrInevitable.com. Well, Valerie, I want to thank you for sharing these 
important strategies and insights for individuals to self-advocate. Thank you, Terry. And to our listeners, next week my guest is author and licensed clinical social worker Brian King, who has Asperger's plus three boys on the spectrum. Brian has a practice focusing exclusively on working with Asperger's individuals and their families. Next week in Toronto, please visit the Autism One Autism Canada Conference, October 30th through November 1st, www.autismone.org. And don't forget the National Autism Association Conference in November, November 12th through 15th in Florida. Please visit www.nationalautismconference.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. For questions about this program, please email me at toranga at autismone.org. For our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.